Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, thanks for joining us today again for another Sunday worship. It's good to see everybody here online. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think uh, as uh, this month, um, as Christmas comes, you know, in a couple of weeks, normally what we do is uh, we, we take some time to reflect on what we call a period of what we call Advent. And uh, we do a couple messages regarding Advent as we look forward to Christmas Day. Um, and so I thought I'd do something along that lines uh, this week and to talk a little bit about not so much Advent, but, but someone connected to this, something that's very practical, not just for Christmas Day, but also for, um, for us in our whole lives, especially in this past year. We just got one verse today, and um, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, we've been through it before, and uh, it, it's pretty deep, and it's also time, oftentimes pretty difficult to look at, but we're looking at just one verse. And let me just read it again, because it's just one verse. Verse 8 in chapter 7, and it says, "As better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. This one verse like many other verses in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a proverb, right? You know, what's a proverb? A proverb is like a short saying, uh, something that's supposed to be easy to remember, something that's actually meant to deal with uh, the matters of practical and, and daily life. Um, and it's meant to be a sort of wisdom. It gives us a little bit of wisdom. Uh, it's like a wise saying, fairly simple, uh, basic, and, and yet sometimes it's, it's not always easy to understand. But in this one verse, in this one, I guess you could call it proverb, uh, there's a compare and there's a contrast or a contrast. There's a compare and there's a contrast. And there's a comparison. You see the comparison going on here. He says this, that there's one thing that is better and that's the end. And another thing, uh, better than the other thing, which is the beginning. Better is the end than the beginning. There's a comparison. And at the same time in this verse, there's a contrast, patient, in spirit is contrasted with the proud in spirit. Now, what does this verse really mean? I mean, what, what does this tell us? What can this verse teach us? Better is the end. And if you think about it over the top of your head and you think, well, you know, better is the end, he's probably talking about, you know, just bad things in our lives. Um, and when bad things happen in our lives, it's better that it ends, right? Uh, that's what he's talking about, isn't it? Um, that that whatever hard situation, whatever difficult thing that we had to go through, it's done. You know, it, it's it's finally over. It. Uh, I got over it. I got past it. I, I I've overcome it. I, I finished it, right? And you know, we're here now, and we're at the end of 2020 already. Can you believe that? And in just a few weeks, we're going to begin. The, a new year, 2021. And so maybe some of us here are thinking today, yeah, better is the end. Get this, get this year over with, right? Get this year full of this pandemic over with. Get, get this year of quarantining our lives and, and, and staying at home all the time and not being able to go out as much as we want and see people as much as we want. Get that year over with, you know, better is the end. Maybe this year you, you, you've been through tough times at work. Maybe you're, you're sick of Zooming on, online all the time, or maybe, you know, you, you know you're fearful of, of the economy. Um, maybe you had to endure sickness, not just 
in your family, but you've endured sickness. And you're thinking, gosh, better, better is the end, right? Than it was in the beginning. Um, you know, maybe if you experienced something hard to, uh, today or, or, or this year, something very difficult, you've experienced loss, um, pain or suffering, and, and you're just saying, I just need to get this over with. Um, I just need this year to be done, right? And there might be some truth to that. Maybe that's how you could read this one verse, but it's actually a lot more than that. And in order to understand this verse a lot better, we need to understand the context of Ecclesiastes. So, so bear with me right now, okay? Because I, I need to give you just a little bit of background. Some of this you, we're familiar with, but just a little background to see how this verse actually fits in with what Ecclesiastes is trying to talk to us about and give us some things, okay? Because we, we've seen or heard this before. Ecclesiastes, the whole book, is commenting on what he calls life under the sun. Life under the sun. Now, what does that mean? It's simply a metaphor for him uh, to describe life simply as we see it unfolding before our physical eyes. And so in Ecclesiastes, he's, he's running a kind of experiment and he's asking the question, what is life like, right? If everything is just what we see before our eyes, what is life like if everything under the sun is all there is? What is life like without any consideration or, or any possible perspective of something more than just what we see happening here and now? What would life like be without any kind of perspective of, of an eternity? And these are the questions that he's going through. And you know this, many of you already know this already, his conclusion. So he tries to find what that is under the sun in this life. And he goes out and does everything he can to find his meaning, his purpose, you know, his life, whether it's pursuing pleasure or whether it's pursuing relationships, whether it's pursuing his work or, or money or even his education. And over and over again throughout this book, the refrain is meaningless, meaningless, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now that word vanity, it, it literally means vapor or, or breath. And he's basically saying that everything he's tried, everything's like vapor, everything is vain. And he's referring then, what he means this, three things. He, he's referring to the brevity of life, the brevity of life, the fragility of life. And if everything we know is just here now under the sun, apart from God, it's the futility of life. And that's how this book kind of ends. And, and so as you read this book, it, we, we know this, it, it can be kind of, a, sounds like a kind of depressing book, the book of Ecclesiastes. But here's what I need you to know. What's interesting is that in the Jewish tradition, uh, this somewhat depressing book came to be connected with what we call the Feast of Tabernacles, otherwise known as the Feast of Booths. Now, what is that? Right. And that was a religious festival that, that began from the Old Testament. And it was celebrated by the Israelites when they entered into the promised land. It was a big party. It was one of the most joyful times of the year. And they still celebrate it today. Uh, and so what they did during the celebration is, is they built booths. That's why they call it the Feast of Booths. And they stay in these booths for a week. Why? to remind themselves that even though they're now in the promised land, right? The land of Canaan, where, you know, the place that was supposed to be it for them, it reminded them what life was like before they got there. What life was like in the wilderness, what life was like between Egypt 
and the promised land. It reminded them as they celebrated uh, this time in the promised land that as good as the promised land was, it wasn't always like that for them. They had wilderness moments. In fact, they had 40 years of that wilderness moment. And during that time, during this period, they didn't know where they were going. They didn't know what was going to happen. They had questions. They had doubts. They had complaints. And they learned during this time, before they got to the promised land, they learned about the frailty of their lives and that their lives were mere breath. And so at this festival that they celebrated every year, at this party, they celebrated the fact that they got to the promised land. They remembered uh, that they had gone through so much. And during that time, they also remind themselves, even though they're in the promised land now, how uncertain life can be. How many unanswered questions that they had. That during that time of wilderness, questions like how long, questions like when, Questions like, where are we going? Questions like, why do we have to do this? Why do we go through this? They had many questions and they reminded themselves that that's what life was like. I've got three points for us today that helps us to think about our lives in perspective with this verse. Three things, okay? One, the first point is this. There's, there's questions we have without answers. Questions without answers. The second point is there's wisdom at the same time, without answers. There's wisdom without answers. And the last point here is, there's a hope without question. Questions without answers, wisdom without answers, but hope without question, all right? So let's look at this in light of Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse eight. Questions without answers. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. Uh, are you feeling the Christmas spirit? Right? I know many of us, we have our Christmas trees in the house. Maybe you've got presents wrapped up, but do you feel the Christmas spirit? I mean, today is supposed to be like 60 degrees. You know, Christmas is in a couple of weeks. Uh, and we are in this celebrated period of Advent. And what is that? Advent is a period of waiting. Now, if you are a children or you have children, if you remember being a child, do you remember what it was like waiting for Christmas morning, waiting to open your presents? Remember the questions that we oftentimes had with our parents? What do, you, what do you like when you're waiting? What do you like? What questions do you ask? How long, mom? How long, dad, do we have to wait to open our presents? How much longer uh, are we waiting for? When can we actually open the gifts? Why do we have to wait, right? Why can't we just do it now? That's what we were like uh, as children. But the irony is this, even as adults, some of those questions we still have, and maybe for some of us, not just Christmas, but especially this year, maybe you've got questions. Maybe you're looking for answers. Questions like, why is this happening? Why is this pandemic going on? Why are we quarantined like this? Why do I have to go through a difficult moment like this? Why do I feel depressed? How much longer? Do I have to wait till this is over? When will this be done? How much longer do I have to wait? You know, I had a friend, I'm more an acquaintance than a friend, but it, you know, he, very successful guy. He, he graduated from Princeton. He made his way to the, uh, one of the top major tech companies. He's been around the world, traveled around the world, lived in different countries. He's fluent in, in multiple languages. And, uh, you know, and I meet him and, you know, he, he's a successful person, but he's, you know, to me, he kind of comes off a little arrogant, right? 
but you know he gets married and um he has a baby he's, he's gonna have a baby um and by the time we meet he the baby's born and this is what he said to me he says this you know francis i'm almost 35 years old I've lived in many countries. I'm fluent in many different languages. I've graduated from the top schools. I've reached the top, I, I guess, offices in my, in my company. I was pretty sure I could handle life with a newborn baby. But let me tell you something, Francis, I'm dying. I'm dying. And the question I have in my life is this. The question that I can't find the answer to is simply this. How do you get a baby to sleep through the night? How do you get a baby to sleep through the night? That was a question he had in a, in a daily living, which he couldn't find an answer. And, you know, I, it's kind of silly, but we all have questions like that, don't we? We all have questions oftentimes where we just can't seem to find an answer. You just don't have answers. Questions like, if you're in junior high, how will I make it through junior high, right? Some of the kids in our church. Um, how will I know what to decide on, what major to study in college? What will, what will I do with my life? Some of us, we had questions and we still do. Will I ever get married? Will I have children? Those of us with children, we wonder, will my children turn out okay? As we get older, maybe we have questions, questions we're not sure. I mean, will I have enough money to retire? And if we're going through something difficult, if we're experiencing hardship of any kind, how long will this period of suffering go on in my life? How long must I go through this? When will this all really end? What should I do about the injustices that I see around the world? What would I do if my spouse gets sick and die? How will I, how will my life, how will my life end? And so much like the Israelites in the wilderness, there are all sorts of questions that we just don't know the answer to right away. In fact, let's be honest, we, we don't even know the answer to the question, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? Like James chapter 4 says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a, a little time and then vanishes. We don't even know what tomorrow brings. Right, And so oftentimes, the way to move forward can, can seem unclear. It, it seems muddled, and, and there are just no easy answers. And I think this is all of us, at, at least at one point or another, this is our life under the sun. And just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you have all the answers. But it's just the opposite. It's because we believe in God that we know we don't have all the answers. We should know because we're not God. We're not the creator of the universe. We're the created. We're not infinite, but we're finite. God is eternal, but our lives, at least under the sun, is temporal. And if this is the case, then of course, then we, we're, we should expect not to have all the answers to our questions. In a sense, it's kind of how it's meant to be because after all, he's God and, and we're not. And yet, and yet, we still have these questions, agonizing questions sometimes. And all of us, we live. Sometimes some of us, throughout our whole lives, we live with unanswered questions, questions without answers. And it's a normal part, I think, 
of this life and of who we are. Questions without answers, all right? That's the first point. But the second point here is this. Just because we have questions without answers in this world doesn't mean we don't have any wisdom because there's wisdom, there's wisdom even without answers. And this is where Ecclesiastes comes in because even in this one verse, he teaches us wisdom, meaning you know, wisdom is not what's true. Wisdom is how you take truth and navigate that in your life. Okay? That's wisdom. And wisdom here is this, how do you live when life looks like there are just more questions than answers? And just because we don't know all the answers doesn't mean that we can't live without wisdom. And so what is the wisdom here without all the answers? Well, the answer here is in chapter seven, verse eight. And this is what he says. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in the spirit. And the first thing he's saying here is that when we don't know, right? When we don't know what's gonna happen, when we don't know how long, when we don't know when, the end is better than the beginning. That's what he's saying. Why? And this is why, because it's usually at the end of a thing, the, it's the end of a thing that reveals to us what God was doing, that reveals to us what the will of God was. Oftentimes, maybe not all the time, but oftentimes, we don't know what God is doing in a particular situation until he does it. As one Puritan writer put it, he says this way, quote, the providence of God is like the language of Hebrew. It can only be read backwards. Hebrew is written and read from right to left. And in our minds, in the English world, that, that's backwards. But the way we oftentimes realize that God's hand is there, that God's work is there, is when we read it backwards. It's only by knowing the end of a matter that we can be sure of what was God doing from the beginning. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that in the meantime, therefore, that we just wait passively for that to come. We can still live. We can make decisions. And the wisdom here is that we live the best we can with what God has already made clear to us according to his word, according to the desires he's given, according to the opportunities he provides in a moment. We live this way and we submit all that to God in prayer, in obedience to his word, and then we trust. We trust him. We trust him and we lay these things in his hands. That's what we're called to do. Thomas Watson once said this, he says, quote, we trust God's hand when we can't trace God's hand. We trust God's hand when we can't trace God's hand. We trust him with our decisions, our actions. We rest in his sovereignty, even when we just don't know all the answers and don't know all the, distance, uh, all the details. And so what this wisdom here is this, when we are waiting in that moment for the end, if we believe the end is better than the beginning, when we'll know everything, in the meantime, we live by faith. We're called to live by faith. Now, here's the problem. The problem with us is that when we're living our lives and we just don't know something, right? We just, we're just in the dark, sort of. We just don't know what's going to happen in the future. There's something in all of us, I think, something in our mind that wants to gravitate to the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario, right? Uh, you know, I had a, 
a cold, I think, earlier this week and, uh, you know, was feeling under the weather. It's something more than just my whatever sickness it was. It, 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 I think it was a cold, and, but I didn't know. I wasn't sure. What, what, what is this? And so, you know, I'm thinking, I thought I had the vid, right? I thought I had COVID. I, I, I thought, oh, my God, what, what do I have COVID? You know, what, if, what if I, you know, but, you know, it was gone in two days. And, you know, so I'm assuming it, it, it was nothing. But naturally, my mind gravitates toward the worst, right? And that's our problem. Rather than living by faith, in those moments of questions, it's our fears, and our fears tell us to expect the worst case scenario. But oftentimes what happens is this, that when we get to the end of the matter, when we get to the end of the thing, what happens? What do we find out? Oftentimes, if you look back, we actually find out that our fears were liars. That our fears were liars. So when Ecclesiastes tells us that the end is better than the beginning, he's not just saying, well, the bad thing's over, good riddance, but he's saying this, that hindsight is 2020, and it's at the end of the thing that lets us look back in our lives and trace God's hand to see that oftentimes our fears were in fact liars, to see that oftentimes God is still good, that there is and there was something good for us, even in the most difficult situations of our lives. And we don't know this until the end. Isn't this what the Israelites realized? That they needed to learn as they celebrated being in the promised land. They got it and they had this big party, the Feast of Booths. And what they did was they read this book of Ecclesiastes and they reminded themselves, they looked back and they realized how much they did need God. How much they did need him to lead him and to guide them and to provide for them. That they needed God for everything because during those 40 years in the wilderness, they felt like everything was up in the air. And though it all, through it all, they remembered as they looked back at the end of their travel, they looked back and remembered, in fact, how much God did lead them. How much God did care for them. How much he fed them. How much he is worthy to be trusted and not to be afraid. When we have questions without answers, when there's a gap between what we know and, and, and what we don't, when there's a gap between our beginning and our end, we tend to fill that gap with our fears. But wisdom here is saying this, Trust in God's providence. Remember that the better is the end of a thing than the beginning. That at the end, you will see one day what that was all about. And so if you have questions without answers, Ecclesiastes is basically saying this, don't give in to your fear. Don't give in to your fear. Live by faith. Trust that the end will reveal God's plan. Okay, now here's the question. So what do we do in the meantime, right? What do we need in the midst without answers if we are trying to live by faith and maybe waiting for some end? In the meantime, what do we need? And this is the second part of our verse. The author of Ecclesiastes says this, the patient in spirit is better than the proud. 
what do we need in the meantime as we endure whatever we're going through without no end in sight? And the answer is patience. We need patience. As we live with questions in between our beginning and our end, in between our Egypt and our promised land, as we live in those wilderness moments of our lives, trying to trust God, trying to live by faith, waiting for some kind of end, waiting for an answer, the author of Ecclesiastes says, we need patience. We need to learn patience. Now, I want to look at what that word is because uh, we need to use this word carefully because notice in our verse here, the word patience is contrasted with another word, and that word is pride. Now, you'd expect him to say something like, patience is better than impatience, not pride, right? The opposite of patience is like impatience, right? Let me ask you a question. What is impatience? Are you an impatient person? Are you an impatient person. Do you have what, what one author calls the hurry sickness? Here's what the hurry sickness is. You know you have hurry sickness when you approach a stoplight in your car and there are two cars in front of you in each lane and you look at the year and the make of each car to pick which lane you're gonna get into so that you can get out of the stoplight faster. You probably have the hurry sickness. You know you have the hurry sickness when you're in the grocery store and you're looking at all the items in the carts in front of you to pick which line will go faster. But what's worse, you keep an eye on that line that you didn't pick as you're going through your line to see if you made the right choice. You probably have the hurry sickness, right? We're guilty of being hurried, of being impatient of the stress and the business of our lives. And Ecclesiastes here is telling us that impatience is, is more than just wanting to get somewhere quicker. It's, it's more than just a desire for order and efficiency. The author, of Hebrew, or the author of Ecclesiastes is saying this, impatience is actually pride. Impatience at its root has stubborn pride. And he's saying this, that if you struggle with patience, it may come from pride. Now, how is that? Pride is the opposite of patience, why? Because pride refuses to be inconvenienced. Pride always complains about the current estate. Pride always demands things in, in, in our way and, and, and in our time. Pride is impatient, pride just can't wait. Pride is in a hurry and it wants things done now, right now right now in our timing. But patience, patience waits for God's timing. Patience trusts that God's way is actually the best way, all right? So what's patience? Patience is more than just gotta wait a little longer. Patience is more than just a little attitude adjustment. Let me practically put it this way, what patience might look like in your life. Patience, for example, could mean viewing people, not as a problem or a nuisance, or an interference in your plans, but actually having a role in God's plan for you and God's plan for them. Patience means you don't look at other people as a problem to solve, uh, but as a relationship to nurture, that we don't look to them as what they owe us, but actually what we could give to them. That, that's a practical work of patience, right? 
Another one, patience means this. Patience means using your time and your money and your resources, your food and your drink, not to try and get the most pleasure from those things in the moment for immediate gratification. But patience also practically means that you're a good steward of what God has given you. And you have an ultimate view of true blessing, a delayed blessing of an eternal reward that you want to reap from, and not just in the moment. Patience also means when you're facing challenges and suffering, you don't see those suffering all the time just as unfair surprise, not as something that you just didn't expect or you don't deserve. But when you have patience, then suffering is not just a problem you just fix and just get out of the way. They become trials in your life. There are things that are meant to loosen our grip on things in this world, on things of this world, and to prepare us for the next. And so we endure with long suffering and patience. Friends, it's hard to be patient. And there's really nothing natural about it. And so learning patience, becoming more patient, means nothing less than putting our pride to death, cultivating a heart of humility, Learning patience means we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day to know that we ourselves are much worse than we could ever imagine. But at the same time, we've been blessed more than we could ever imagine. And that means putting our pride to death. That's how we cultivate patience. Okay. So where do I get this patience? How do I get there? You've got questions without answers. And sometimes we live like that. But you also have wisdom, even without answers. And that wisdom means that sometimes we need to wait till the end to see what God is doing. And that requires patience. How do I do that? How can I do that? Well, the answer, your encouragement, the third point here is this. It's because you've got hope without question. You might have questions without answers, but you've got wisdom without answers because you've got hope without question. Here's the irony here in this verse. The writer of Ecclesiastes, you see, He could never say this. He could never say that the end is better than the beginning and that patient is better than the proud unless, right, unless he actually did have a perspective that goes beyond everything he saw under the sun. Because you see, he said it before, under the sun, the only thing that matters is right now. Under the sun is the proud that becomes powerful and successful. And yet he's come to the conclusion over and over again that under the sun, this way of life is vanity, it's futile. But he says wisdom, a truly good life, I think he's saying is lived in light of something more than under the sun. And so if we're living right now with a lot of questions without answers, and we're called to live with, with wisdom without answers by trusting that God knows that in the end he will reveal his will and it's going to be better than the beginning. So we need to be patient. Then we can be patient. We can do that. Why? Because you and I, we have a certain hope, a hope without question. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is what Peter says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise at some count of slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. 
just as our brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him. Did you hear that? The patience of our Lord counted as salvation. How can we continue to be patient and, and wait and trust that God knows what he's doing, that the end will reveal all things, that it's going to be better than the beginning? How do we do this? Because we have hope without question. Why? Because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the one who's been patient with you. He's the one who gave his life for you on a cross. He's the one who demonstrated perfect patience for you on the cross. Think about how much patience he needs to bear a cross, right? To take your own cross, to hang there on the cross and die. Hours, hours of agonizing pain. How much does it take to endure such a thing? A lot of patience. He bore our sins on a cross with patience in order to deal with our sin, in order to deal with our pride, in order to forgive us and make us whole, in order to give us life in order to bring forth full and ultimate justice, he endured with patience. In order to make things right that was wrong, he had to endure the cross with patience. And then he was raised on the third day to give us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. And because he has died and because he was raised from the dead, he's guaranteed our destiny. Listen carefully. He's guaranteed our ultimate end. It's a certain hope without question. And now he's given to us in the meantime, as we wait for that final ultimate end, in the meantime, he's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And you know what that guy does, right? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, and patience. So Paul says in Colossians 2, put on as God's chosen ones, patience. James chapter 5, verse 8. You also be patient. Friends, Patience is a gift of God, earned for us by Jesus Christ, who was the patient one, who has been patient with us and for us. And so when we don't have all the answers, when wisdom means, in the meantime, trusting in God's providence, trusting that the end will be better than the beginning, and so we need to wait patiently. How do we do this? By reminding ourselves that the one who was patient with us patiently bore the cross to secure an eternal hope without question. That's our encouragement. And maybe now, as we hit the end of 2020, and as we look forward to 2021, among all the questions that you and I still might have through this year, maybe one question that we ought to ask ourselves today is this. What has God been teaching you lately? What has God been teaching us lately? Maybe it's a good time to reflect and to consider what God has been teaching us or has taught us in this past year from his word, from our experiences, from our relationships that we've had, hard as well as good, and ask ourselves a question. Among the many questions that we have, to ask ourselves a question, 
what's God been teaching me this past year? And my answer to that question is this. Among many things, this past year, God has been teaching me patience. Patience. I don't know where you are this morning and what you're going through still and what questions or doubts or struggles you might have. But I want to encourage you, even in the midst of your unanswered questions, live by his wisdom, trust in him, trust in his word that says the end is going to be better than the beginning and pray for patience to endure the moment, to know that we have our eternal hope secure in him. And one day, maybe not in this lifetime, but one day we will know and look back and say, and still say, God is good and he's worthy of our faith. So don't be afraid. Let's pray.